0: Welcome to the Pete on Software podcast, where we program with passion. This is the podcast that discusses technology, the business side of software, and the tech people that drive our industry. And now, here's your host,
1: Pete Shearer. Hi, and welcome to episode 20 of the Pete on Software podcast. I'm recording this on Sunday, August 3rd, 2014. For today's podcast, I have an interview with Russell Patterson. Russell's a .NET developer as well as a mobile developer with iOS and Android, all in the healthcare space. I'm talking with Russell this week to find out more about his Simple Lookups project, but not only to learn about the project, but to find out more about NuGet coding in public, and about his journey. Here's the interview. Hi, Russell. How's it going? It's going great, Pete. Well, thanks for being on the show.
0: It's great to be here.
1: Thank you. Um, so one of the questions that I like to ask all my guests and pretty much anyone I talk to is, how did you get starting in programming? Like, why is this what you do? Why are you chasing down this profession? Just tell me a little bit about that.
0: Well, my family got a computer when I was about 13. Ever since the first time I sat down in front of it, I was always amazed by just the, the things that it enabled us to do, just amazed by technology. And I'd probably say like a lot of the people that are in our field. And I just wanted to be a person that, uh, that made these cool things happen, you know. So I you know, went, to, went to college and uh, learned how to write software. And since then, I've been doing .NET stuff and uh, recently moved on to Android and still doing a lot of .NET stuff.
1: So did you, uh, at any time when you had your computer until you went to college, did you tinker around some, like with programming or anything like that, or did you just, you were interested so then you chased it down for the first time at college?
0: Um, I I did a little bit of uh, Python and stuff when I was in high school, but largely my interest prior to college was in hardware, which is why I actually majored in computer engineering instead of computer science. But then after after I got to college, I was clearly more interested in the software side of things. So I chased that down as a career.
1: Good choice. Not to insult anyone out there, but obviously that goes in line with the way I think, so obviously it's the right way. So, how do you stay current? So, you look at you know you graduated college several years ago. You're you're in the field now. You've, if you only you said you do .NET stuff. I mean .NET frameworks revved like four times, five times since probably since you graduated. You've got you said mentioned Android. You mentioned iOS. You've got all these new technologies you're coming across. How do you make sure that your skills stay current uh, so that you uh, do the best job you can?
0: Well, there are various things that I do. Uh I listen to podcasts like .NET Rocks or iFreaks or the Debug podcast, Hansel Minutes, a lot of other ones too. Uh, Also, I read blog posts, also go on some of the programming subreddits, uh, get some information from there, and then a couple times a year, I'll also attend conferences like Codemash or StirTrack or any other ones.
1: One of the things that I know that you're doing right now kind of in public is simple lookups. So tell me a little bit about what simple lookups is.
0: The simple lookups is a small .NET library that allows you to easily perform those uh, CRUD operations on lookup tables. Uh, And lookup tables, as I mean, most of your listeners would know, uh, are just these kind of types, right? So let's say if you have a database full of providers, you might have a provider type uh, lookup table, whereas the provider types would be something like uh, individual organization, It's designed to be really easy to set up. You just need a connection string and ultimately the name of a table. Uh, The tables have to fit a specific schema as far as having an ID column, a name column, description, code, and then an active column.
1: So you kind of go a little convention over configuration there. They kind of have to follow your convention to be able to use it.
0: Exactly, yeah. Um, but that's not to say that there's. there are also ways to change that. Um, for example, in, in earlier versions, I always had the column names were, in my example that I used earlier, in the provider type table, it would be provider type ID, provider type name, provider type code, etc. In this latest version, you can actually decide, well, I don't really want all my columns to be prefixed with provider type, so you can turn that off. Or if you want... Instead of using the word name for your name column, you could use some other maybe language-specific word or something else in your database. And that's configurable uh, through your web config or actually through code as well.
1: So where did you get the idea for it? Like what inspired you to come up with this and to make it a project?
0: I noticed a pattern over several jobs that I've had where we would always have these lookup type tables that pretty much look the same with the obviously varying names and, but we're writing code over and over again to, to manage them. Um, so I thought, well, I could, I could create a, I could create something that would handle that. I also wanted a, some experience with, with an open source project, really, even if no one ends up using it, I just wanted that experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I also wanted experience, I, I wanted to understand how to create, uh, Things like a NuGet package and what it was like to have something out there. So, what kind of
1: challenges did you face creating simple lookups? Anything that was especially tricky, or anything new that you had to learn in order to, you know, create the project?
0: Well, from the start, I wanted to build it the right way. And a lot of times in our day jobs, we have to—we don't get to do everything the the hundred percent correct way. And so, I really wanted to, you know, follow good patterns, you know, follow solid principles, make it unit testable. I wanted to take a polymorphic approach instead of basically dealing with conditional hell throughout the entire uh, library. So, you know, that that was one of the challenges was like kind of making myself stick to standards, not taking shortcuts.
1: So it was part of that because you, because there's a little bit of a fear, like when you put code out there, open source, like you've done that where people could say, okay, you're doing this right because... You had a greenfield project, and you wanted to put your best effort out there. Or was any part of that you were a little bit nervous because someone else was going to see your code, and so you wanted to limit the amount that you're judged? I know that's how I feel about it.
0: Um, definitely a little bit of, uh, you know, people are going to see this. What are they going to say? Mm-hmm. You know, but there's also a lot of where, like I said, we we do we do take shortcuts a lot, and I wanted to kind of prove to myself that I still knew what I was doing.
1: Yeah. I mean that makes perfect sense. So you you mentioned NuGet. What was it like setting simple lookups to be a NuGet package? Is that easy to do? Is it hard to do? Is it hard, kind of difficult, but once you do it once or twice, it's easy to do. You know, just tell me about that experience.
0: Well, at first, um, I, I really had no idea where to start. Um, there there were some tutorials online, but those but those tutorials didn't provide me with all the knowledge that I needed to create the package that I that I wanted. Ultimately, I started seeing what other people were doing. I downloaded things like log and other such packages that do a lot of the things like modify config files and those kind of things mm-hmm. uh, so that I could see what they're doing and then, and then build my package based on that. But yeah, it's, it's not, it's not particularly difficult, but there's just, I didn't find a lot of information about specifically what I wanted it to do.
1: Uh, are there any dependencies in simple lookups? So if, we, if I include simple lookups in my project, am I taking a dependency on log for net or something like that or, or other libraries? There are no dependencies. Okay. So where do we go from here? Where's simple looks? What kind of features are you looking to add to simple lookups in the future? What do you hope to do with it? Stuff like that.
0: Well, I, I accomplished my original goals, um, but I definitely want to continue improving it. I'm adding a, a few new things in version 2.0. We're at 1.6 now. One of the major things is I'm going to support Oracle and MySQL. Um, so it's SQL Server only right now. It's currently SQL Server only. Okay. Yes. Um, and then I'm also going to add uh, some lookup caching so that we're not always hitting the database because right now it, it always always hits the database. Um, and that's that's a little bit hard to get right sometimes. So I'm going to make sure that that's right before before I move forward with it. I uh, also right now there's. There's a simple lookups.com, but it redirects to my blog, so I really want to get that out there too um, so people have a way to, 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 to see the documentation and you know uh, download sample projects and that kind of thing. So that's, that's definitely coming up. Cool. Uh,
1: anything else you want to pimp or promote? Like what's, what's going on with you? What you got a Twitter handle. You mentioned a blog. What's your blog address? Stuff like that.
0: Well, my blog is uh, russellwritescode.com. That's with uh, two S's, two L's. My Twitter is at RWPCPE. The uh, only thing that I really uh, would like to promote is I have an alarm clock program that I wrote several years ago, actually while I was in college. These days, it's probably not the most useful thing since everybody has a smartphone and a lot of people use that as an alarm clock. But, you know, if you want a backup alarm or or something like that, you know, you can you can check it out. At one point, it was fairly popular, but um, these days probably about 100 people use it a day.
1: So it's a hundred. That's like twice the listenership of my podcast. So I mean, you're doing really well. Um, so that's how do you find that? Is it is it linked on your blog or, or where do you get it? What's yeah. it called? Is it just Russell's alarm clock? Like what do we got?
0: Well, it's it's just. I know this is a very creative name. It's called Alarm. Okay. Um, and actually, it's it's available on my blog. If you go to uh, the things I work on, it's a tab there at the top. There's the alarm, and then several little nothing to call home about little utilities that I have.
1: All right, that sounds good. Well, Russell, thanks a lot for being on the show. I really appreciate
0: it. It was great being here. All right, and I'll talk to you later.
1: Thanks. Thanks again to Russell Patterson for agreeing to be on the podcast. I really appreciate his time. I have several picks of the week this week. My first pick of the week this week is in honor of some traveling that I have to do for business. The website is HotelWiFiTest.com. Basically, it does exactly as the name suggests. You give the site a city, and it tells you which hotels have the best Wi-Fi. And if you're already at a hotel, you can hit the site and perform a bandwidth test to help their metrics for future travelers. I will be definitely logging in to rate the Wi-Fi at the hotel that I'm staying at. My second pick of the week this week is CodeSchool at CodeSchool.com. CodeSchool isn't anything new, and I had a subscription to it about two years ago. I learned a lot about a ton of different topics. The courses are structured like this. You watch a short video, and then you do actual exercises in the browser. When you pass, you get to move on. I suspended my CodeSchool account because I had taken every course they had to offer, and they only produce a limited amount of new material every month, so I was paying full price for something I couldn't learn from anymore. So I suspended my account until they built up a backlog for me again. Code School came up this week because I had an old student ask me about more engaging ways to learn material. They were falling asleep on Pluralsight videos and wanted something more interactive. And I think that's Code School style uh, will help solve that problem perfectly. I also suggested a healthy batch of learning by doing and undertaking a project of their own, similar to how Russell described in today's interview. But if we're only looking to guided learning, then CodeSchool is a great place to start. My third pick of the week this week is building cloud apps with Microsoft Azure with Scott Goo. The link will go ahead and be in the show notes. He has a free ebook as well as a video recording of talks that he's given on the subject. I think Azure is very compelling in the cloud space and these materials are worth checking out. My fourth pick of the week this week is ReviewCast at ReviewCast.io. If you have an app or a podcast in the Apple App Store, or if you're just interested in finding out more about one, you only ever get to see the reviews that came in on the App Store that you're signed into. So the United States App Store or the British App Store. If you want to see all of the worldwide reviews, you can go to ReviewCast.io, find the app or podcast, enter an email. I always use a throwaway Mailinator account. And you'll get the reviews mailed to you. That's pretty cool. That's it for this week. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can reach out to me on Twitter as at on My blog is pedonsoftware.com. You can find me there as well.